electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. We are inside the tech sell-off. How much more pain might be ahead for your money? And which stocks are still vulnerable? We'll debate that with, of course, the Investment Committee. We'll also continue our stock summit with more top picks and sectors. Looking forward to that. Once again, joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Sarat Sethi, Steve Weiss, and Josh Brown. Let me take you to the wall. I'll show you what stocks are doing first and foremost. NASDAQ's getting a little bit of a lift today. Boy, but that big 500-point sell-off, the worst day since February, still very much on our minds. 4,700, a little bit above is where the S&P is. 10-year note yield, 174. The yield on the 10-year continues to creep higher. Guys, it's good to see everybody. What a big day uh, we're coming off of. Josh, you know, I was going to ask folks, hey, what's on your mind after what happened in the market yesterday? But it seems to me that your actions actually speak louder than your words, because I look at what you've done and you have some new moves that we need to discuss that I know our viewers are going to want to know about. First and foremost, and let's do this one first, you actually bought Robinhood and it's a new position for you. I can't believe I did this. I still hate it. I still hate it, but everybody hates it too much. Um, I'm not going to be in this one long, so I don't want anybody to follow me into it. Uh, I could be out as soon as today. Judge, you know I'm more of an investor than a trader, but I looked at this. I've been watching this stock falling. It was in it. Who the is that? It was in. We'll wait, Rufus. Go ahead. I don't All know right. whose dog. It was in it. Stock. <laughs> the stock was in an 81% drawdown. Uh, this morning, it was selling at a valuation of uh, it was a, a twelve billion dollar market cap. Do you understand? This company was raising money pre IPO in August of 2020 at twelve billion dollar. So this was now selling below where some of the smartest money in in the valley, etc., were were investing. So it it had just been completely wiped out. I was looking at things like relative strength, completely wiped out. And then I saw there really weren't a lot of sellers below 15. So I pulled the trigger early this morning. I'm already up a bunch on a short-term basis. I don't think I'm going to stick with this one for long because um, I'm already long PayPal and Coinbase. And I don't, I don't want all three of them. However, uh, mm-hmm. I do think the stock is way too hated. And I do think that there could be some more upside. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Look, so, so Kathy Wood um, is sort of, in the epicenter of all, all of this selling that we've seen, you know, the ARK funds, the ARK, the ARKK, the Innovation Fund has gotten absolutely annihilated in the last 48 Judge, hours. The dra- she's been out buying. She's the drawdown in ARK. Yeah. The, sorry, the drawdown in ARK, the drawdown in ARK at its worst this morning was 48 percent, which is a deeper drawdown than that ETF experienced in March of 2020. Like, this is worse than March of 2020 for that segment of the market. To me, that's remarkable. 
Yeah, well, my, part of my point that I was going to make is that she's been in there buying that one, too. Robin Hood and some of the other names yeah. that have gotten absolutely destroyed and the ones that she believes in. I'm not finished with you, though, um, Josh, because you bought more of Matterport and PayPal. Tell me about Matterport, why you decided yeah. to buy more. I mean, it goes to this whole this whole point that, you know, Kramer was making on the air this morning as Squawk on the Street came on the air where he said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty, pretty, pretty close. Um, I think it's time to look. A lot of stocks have been cut in half, so I'm looking. And apparently so are you guys, Josh. Yeah, Matterport probably never belonged where, where it was trading at the highs. But I certainly don't think it should be down 35 or 40 percent with absolutely no change in fundamentals whatsoever. So this was opportunistic. I own it around here. It round trip basically back to where I own it. I hadn't taken profits in it higher because it's a long-term investment for me. I really believe in what they're building. So that was easy. Uh, PayPal was more interesting. This was a stock that just refused to go down anymore. It was not going down in sympathy with the growth stocks uh, yesterday I had noticed. And today it was one of the first names on my screen in that sector to turn green. If you go back and look at last fall, it had found support uh, at 179, 180. That happened again this week. Uh, and it happened in that December sell-off when the Omicron stuff first started. So for whatever reason, the buyers have been coming in repeatedly at that 180 level. And they did again this week. And I think it's just run out of people to sell it. I don't think there's anyone left that wants out. So I could be wrong, but I thought that was a pretty low risk uh, buy at this price as well. So, you know, Steve Weiss, since we, you know, we're, we're talking about, in some respects, Kathy Wood and, and the ARC funds, 36 of 43 holdings within the, uh, the KK, the ARKK, the innovation fund, down more than 40 percent from the 52-week highs. 29 of 43 are down more than 50 percent. Josh mentioned Robin Hood. He's liked Matterport and PayPal for an awfully long time. He goes and buys some more of those. Your actions tell a story, I think, as well today. You were short the ARKK earlier today, along with the SMH, that's the chip ETF, and the Qs, the NASDAQ 100. But I see that you've now covered all of your shorts. Can you take me through the process of the trade itself? Sure. So if you call last Thursday and even prior to that, I said I got fully invested and I said I'm going to start easing up my exposure, um, you know, cutting it back uh, after the first of the year and been pretty consistent. And given my view on where I thought rates were, because my single largest position, as I mentioned last week, was being short bonds. And so I was able to take my exposure down. But with that viewpoint, that rates are going with that viewpoint of that being my largest position and that rates are going to go higher, then I had to adjust my portfolio. I love the stocks that I own. So I shaved some of them here and there, but I didn't want to do a wholesale hatchet to it to get my exposure back down because I don't think it's over here. It may be over for this moment. It may be over for this hour, but I don't know where it's going to close today, the market. So my point is the market will continue to be under pressure. And at that point, with Fed minutes coming out yesterday, I want to make sure that I was protecting the portfolio. So I was able to get my exposure down to actually 30 percent net long with the very liquid uh, ETFs that you can trade. So I covered them this morning because the market, despite the fact, and it's kind of surprising, it's just tired of going down. But with the 10-year yield moving up, you know, not small, 
the market's holding, holding its own. So, look, tomorrow's another day. And the thing about the employment number is, absent a real big increase in wages, and none of the consensus is calling for that, I can't tell you what the market will respond when the numbers come out. If the jobs are great, well, is that because reporting the prior quarter or the prior month wasn't mm-hmm. you know, accurate and some catch up? If the jobs right. are poor, does that mean inflation's coming down? But here's what I can tell you about inflation. I was talking to Dave Tepper this morning. We were just catching up on, on our market views. And Dave said, let me tell you about inflation. I went to the supermarket and there were no chickens. Not only were there no chickens, there were no chicken pots. So inflation's here, and it's killing, unfortunately, the people that can least afford to tolerate the price increases. So I think the Fed's going to be aggressive. The Fed wants you out of risk assets. They made that clear. And guess what? The Fed always, always wins. Doesn't mean stocks can go down 20%, but it does mean you've got to be very careful as to where you are. And I still don't believe the Kathy Wood stocks are low enough. Because it's going to be continued pressure on well, the, the pain. Is, the pain is clear, um, Brenda. Yesterday alone, the IGV software ETF down 5%, 18% now off of its 52-week high. The cloud ETF, the CLOU, down 4% alone yesterday, now 24% off of its 52-week high. Semis down 3.5% yesterday, the SMH down 4% from the high because those stocks have been rallying of late before we had this upset in the last 24 hours. And then I mentioned the innovation, which is 45%. Big cap tech stocks, too, the, the, the most mega of mega caps, um, not spared, Brenda, in the sell-off yesterday. Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft uh, down 4%, 2.5% or so, respectively. Uh, what's the right play today? Sit on the sidelines because you think these stocks are going to go down or do what Kramer is doing He's looking or what Josh and Steve are doing, at least Josh uh, is buying. Yeah, I think, you know, you have to look at tech in two different categories in this environment. So those that are the high growth, probably unprofitable companies, and many of those fall into the arc like um, category. And then, as you mentioned, um, Scott, the, the large cap tech stocks. So those two things are very different, uh, but we have seen a small um, uh correction in some of the large cap tech stocks. Take Microsoft, for example. I think it was down almost 6% um, this year-to-date period, but still at 50% for the one-year period. So seeing a relatively minor correction. But I think for for investors of the long-term time horizon and those who are looking to add a little bit more to some of these names, this isn't a bad spot. I mean, for clients that we have where we're putting money to work, this represents a decent opportunity to add a little bit more to those companies. But I would be um, uh, loath to recommend adding a lot to unprofitable tech companies because I think that is where the valuation gets trickier and we don't know exactly where things will ultimately shake out there. It's harder to have a story to really support a floor in that valuation story in many cases. So I think it's a tale of two stories within tech, uh, but I think for longer term investors who are looking to add a little bit, it's in a bad spot to add a little bit to those larger cap tech names. All right, Surat, I want to know how nervous you are. Um, Alphabet, in your book, down 4.5% yesterday alone. Apple, in your book, down 2.5%. Microsoft, you own that, down 4%. Amazon, down 2% yesterday. Meta, uh, formerly known as Facebook, down 3.5% yesterday. NVIDIA, down 5.5% yesterday. Are you nervous? 
Uh, no, I'm not nervous. I, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of Kramer. I'm watching here. I'm trying to see kind of when I can get back into some of these mega caps that, I mean, to Brenda's point, they are, you know, cash flow rich companies that are growing. Uh, I'm not as worried about them as I am some of the other tech stocks that are uh, selling at, you know, really high valuations. I'm also looking at other parts of the market, I think, you know, through this sell off yesterday and, and where we're going to be in the next couple of weeks. You've got earnings season coming front and center. Uh, I think there could be some opportunities. Uh, you know, I'm heavily placed in financials. I've got exposure there, healthcare. So in a diversified portfolio, I mean, it hurts to see my large cap tech come down as much as they did. But if they come down more, I think there's more opportunity there, uh, especially in the Facebooks and Googles that I think are cheap at these prices. Yeah, you know, Brenda, you know, I know Kramer uh, from looking at his Twitter feed and listening to him on our air is watching Microsoft pretty closely. Would love to see it hold up um, because it's been such a great winner and such a strong company and coming off um, what can only be described as pretty stellar earnings in the most recent period. Uh, you own Microsoft as well. Uh, how critical do you see stocks like that holding up? Can't have the bottom fall out of stocks like Microsoft or we're not going to be where we are now. Yeah, and Microsoft in particular, you know, even through uh, the last year where there were some bouts where tech underperformed, Microsoft really held up incredibly well within that group. And I think it's really a function of the company's solid um, positioning within the markets that they play in and certainly, you know, just ongoing shifting to the cloud um, and, uh, you know, continued strength within their, within their markets. So I think, and, and also just, you know, having a, a lot of it never hurts to have a good uh, recurring revenue story, right? Um, it really provides a lot of visibility into the future. And when you also combine that with growth and incredible financial health, it's just, it's hard uh, to move away from a stock like that for those who own it. So I do think that if Microsoft were to have a significant correction that yes, I think it would be hard for the broader market um, because it would send a signal uh, that there is a lot to be concerned about here, even for companies as strong as Microsoft. So I do think we need that uh, to continue um, to move the market higher from this level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, I'm looking at the 10-year note yield. I really can't take my eye off of it because it has so uh, such a level of importance now. Uh, again, we can throw up the 10-year uh, because much of what we've seen in the market is taking place because of this move in interest rates. There's 173. We're pushing 174 a minute ago. Let's bring in our senior economics reporter, uh, Steve Leisman, to join the conversation. Uh, Steve, there's, there's so much to talk about, uh, but these minutes from yesterday really give us uh, a lot of insight into just how wrong the Fed has been uh, on inflation, because it doesn't feel like we're all that far away from not even thinking about thinking about thinking about to talking at this point about not only raising rates, but winding the balance sheet and having the Fed in their minutes, Steve, talk about the tax of inflation on consumers who can <clears throat> ill afford to pay higher prices uh, for their cost of living. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, Scott, because you can read it the way I think you're suggesting is the Fed's behind its own curve, right? Think about the idea that here's a meeting in the middle of December where the Fed is talking about strategies for reducing the balance sheet while it plans for that month and this month and the next month to continue adding assets to its balance sheet. 
So it's a little bit, I, I guess, absurd is, is, is the way to think about it. Uh, and, and, and the Fed knows what it needs to do, I think. And there seems to be general agreement that it needs to do that, which is in order to combat inflation among the tools it's going to need to have is to reduce the balance sheet. And yet here it is still adding to the balance sheet. And I asked um, uh, Powell just that last um, uh, at the last press conference, why you're doing this. And he said, well, because we want to give markets time to adjust. Because uh, I don't know if you have that chart ready in the back, guys, with the S&P in the last runoff. But what it shows is it was not a pleasant time. You guys remember this. The fourth quarter of 2019, stocks uh, took a bit of a beating when uh, Powell did actually go about reducing the balance sheet. Um, uh, there's the Fed rate hike probability. That's not the one, but in any event. Uh, and what you saw is you saw stocks decline. You guys remember that. Uh, and then he reversed course and he added back. So the Fed is uncertain about this. There you go. There's the decline. Uh, that's below the zero line there on stocks. And also that's the negative line or percent change year over year on the Fed's balance sheet. Then it reversed course. That's the white line up. That's 2017 to 2020. That's the last runoff. Not a good time for stocks. So I think that's what Powell was trying to avoid. Look, Morgan Stanley's out, Steve, uh, with a note or, or at least some, some words around the Fed. And our colleague Carl Quintanilla had flagged this in a tweet just before we came on the air. So I, I flagged it for us. In five prior rate shocks, they say the S&P typically moved down 5%. It's only 2% off of its highs <clears throat> at, at the current time. It leads me to a bigger question, Steve. The way you just finished your report and into that stat of how the market's going to react of of how much the Fed cares about the stock market, how much the Fed should care about the stock market. They're two different conversations. I've certainly heard a lot on our air this week, and not just this week. The Fed shouldn't take the stock market into any consideration whatsoever. They need to rip the Band-Aid off. They need to do what they do. And how the market reacts is how the market reacts. Josh, I thought, made a great point many months ago on this program where he said, the stock market has never, ever been more tied to the economy than it is today. The stock market is the economy. More people than ever probably own uh, stocks or funds or what have you. So it matters maybe more than ever to the performance of the overall economy. You have thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you have to recognize the contradiction in what you just said, right, which is you can't say the Fed shouldn't care about the stock market on the one hand and then say, well, the stock market is more the economy than ever before. Uh, the Fed has to care about the economy. I think there are a couple considerations, and we've talked about these before, what the Fed has. The first of all uh, is that the stock market and the bond market are the major conduits for Fed policy. Um, when they do QE, what are they doing? They want you to make a preference for risk assets. Steve Weiss was talking about this before. I, mean, I don't think the Fed is saying get out of all risk assets. I don't think Steve Weiss meant to say that. But in any event, uh, they're saying, you know, reduce your preference for risk assets when we reduce QE or do quantitative tightening. The other thing the Fed cares about, obviously, is, uh, is systemic risk. So the Fed does not want to create a massive downdraft in the stock market that would sort of gum up the financial markets uh, and, and, and the working of the economy in that regard. So those are two major concerns the Federal Reserve has and I think pretty clearly has to have with uh, the stock market. So I don't think there's a, a put at a number. Uh, I don't think the Fed would be disappointed to see the market sell off a bit, but it doesn't want to see it sell off a lot to create systemic risk. And I have one comment, Scott, from listening to your conversation uh, before uh, you got to me, which is I don't know how you can have a meaningful sell off when every member of your panel is just sort of sitting there licking their chops and doing their thumbs and saying, I'm ready to go in at the right price. It seems like there's a ton of cash that's going to hold this thing up. And so it's really interesting to hear how do you have a meaningful sell-off when everybody's on the sidelines with cash waiting to come back in? I mean, it just depends where that money is going to be deployed, uh, what, what kinds of stocks sure. people are going to be willing to buy. 
uh, on, on, on the dip. I mean, that's, that's the central question. And even though you have some toe dippers like Josh who, you know, couched his trade, if, if you want to use that word, as just that, um, by saying, look, I may be out uh, today. This isn't some long-term conviction deal in Robinhood that Josh Brown said, hey, this thing's come down so much, I need to own this for the next five years. I may be out of this in the next five hours. So that, that's the key question. No, but nobody's I, I want to bring Josh their... in because... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to yeah. say, nobody's make, out no, there selling point, their Tesla or their, or their yacht because of the sell... Nobody's out there selling their Tesla or their yacht because of the sell-off at this point. Yeah. I'd like to bring Josh in. You know, I, I mentioned his name in our, in our conversation, Steve, about his view of the Fed and the market, how tied it is to the economy and just how investors in general should be thinking about how the Fed's going to proceed in the months ahead and not wanting to, you know, crash the plane. Josh? Household net worth is $141 trillion, and a record, uh, I think, 29% of that is stock market wealth. So we're saying a third of household net worth is the stock market. So this idea that the Fed is not paying attention to the stock market or shouldn't or should treat it as like a side effect is hilarious to me. The predominant uh, mechanism, uh, according to Steve, is, is stocks and bonds. That's true. The wealth effect used to be almost all uh, housing prices. So if you, if you really wanted to produce a wealth effect, then you would juice housing prices. That's still true. But now the value of stocks and, and the value of bonds and portfolios at large is so much more important than that. You think about CFOs making spending decisions at a corporation do you think that they don't know what valuation their stock price has? Or do you think that they're not thinking about their own wealth in the context of those decisions? Of course they are. And that trickles down to every single person at a company who's being paid in equity. The next generation of Americans, the millennials, are increasingly paid in equity and have 401k balances that are now booming. And everybody is booking vacations and doing their Christmas shopping and whatever all based on how rich they feel or how poor they feel. That is how we've engineered the economy. You don't have to like it, but that's what it is. It's not pensions anymore. It's stocks. And stocks are bigger than ever, $38 trillion in stocks. So this is what it is. This is what the Fed has to pay attention to. The good news is they are. Powell's formative moment as the Fed chairman is the fourth quarter of 2018. And we saw how quickly the Fed was able to stop on a dime and completely reverse course from rate hikes to rate cuts. And one of the biggest things that was right in their face was the, the S&P 500 violating the 200-day moving average. If you think that's not a major signal to the Fed, then ask yourself, if not that, what? What exactly should they be looking at? They know that that's where the rubber meets the road for middle class and upper class America and for a lot of spending decisions that affect the data later on. Steve, it just points you know, to the delicate Josh, chance that I, Powell I, and company have to have to do. I completely agree with what Josh said. I think, he, you know, nobody has commanded those facts like he does. The only difference this time, Josh, that is, is I think another factor here is inflation. In both of those times, the Fed had the luxury of being able to take it slow and, and, and really uh, adjust policy because there wasn't any inflation in the system. This time, I think there's a little bit of, 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 uh, uh, of absolute demand by the Fed to address the inflation problem. And it's already done three things. Let's talk about that. It, it, it sped up the taper. 
Now it, a pencil in interest rate hikes. And now it's talking about reducing the balance sheet. So it's doing all of those things. And, and Josh, I, I do think the Fed is ready to take some hits to the stock market because of the preference it created for equities through quantitative easing in the pandemic. It has to take that away through interest rate hikes and do so through uh, removal of, of, of quantitative easing and eventually reducing the balance sheet. I agree. I, it's I agree. Steve, what I'm saying, slowly, so, Scott, can but, I jump in? Yeah. I, I, wait, I agree yeah, with that. What, if last I thing, jump in for I agree, a second. I 100% agree with that. Josh, could, but we're not. But we're not. Hold on. Hold, hold on. on Weiss, we're not going to crash the stock you. market. I got we're you. not going to crash the stock market to solve inflation. That's just not. Nobody should. Nobody's expectation should be that uh, the Fed wants carnage in stocks to punish us for how well stocks have done, and that that somehow is going to help them hit their hit their uh, dual mandate. That's a, that's an absurd notion. So in 18, they tried to raise rates at the same time as they tried to shrink the balance sheet. It was a disaster. They're not going to do it again. Why would they do it again? Because it's nine trillion dollar balance sheet and inflation is seven percent. So I, I'm not precise. I, I think you might be right. It's one of the things they're talking about. This is a bit of a nuance is in a month that they end up reducing the balance sheet, they may stop raising rates that particular month or that particular quarter. There's talk about, you know, one supplanting the other. But that's the reason they do it. They, there's a sense out there, Josh, Governor Waller's talking about this, that there's a trillion to a trillion and a half that could come off the balance sheet in a painless way. That's equal to the amount that's in reverse repo. There isn't enough time and certainly not enough interest for me to explain why that's true. But the idea that there is a large <laughs> bucket of money out there that the Fed could roll right. off the balance sheet in a somewhat painless way is one of the things that the Fed is considering. And, and let me also say, as, as Steve Weiss, I, I'm going to give you the floor uh, as, as someone um, who's been on this program before, a, a big money manager, I, I will just say, uh, says, OK, he's, you know, listening to our conversation, suggesting that, OK, so let's say the market gives up a, a lot of the gains over, over the last year, just just for argument's sake, if we're talking about the, the wealth effect, the the value of the home is still elevated to to where it was. It doesn't necessarily have a uh, doesn't wipe out all of the wealth effect that consumers have been feeling. They'll still feel uh, pretty good regardless in terms of what the wealth effect would, would actually mean. I just wanted to make that point from somebody who's listening intently to our, yeah, to our conversation, one. that there's a lot more at play than just the stock market. So Jay Powell and company may feel as though he's not going to kill everything if, oh, by the way, the stock market gets hit because they need to rip the Band-Aid off. Steve Weiss, floor is yours. Yeah, so, so let me cut through the hyperbole. Nobody has said, and I've never heard anybody said, say that, the Fed wants to crush the stock market, wants it to crash. That's absolutely ridiculous. And that's what's hilarious. But here's the story. The story is there's a timing difference. Investors have shown generally they take a long term view. Aside from the small percentage of people that are in the market, they're not day traders. And we've seen constantly, consistently, they buy on dips. So that's a long term stock market's long term. And the Fed has to deal with the short term. And that short term is runaway inflation, which is hurting people more right now than if the market declines somewhat. So the Fed is going to raise rates. They're going to try and walk that narrow line. And you will see rates go up, period. They've got to take that balance sheet down from where it is right now. 
And Steve points out they're still continuing to add to it. So look, so the Fed, of course, they looks at, looks at the market. They look at the housing market. They look at thousands of things. They do. They're sensitive to it. However, it's a question of what's the greater good? Is the greater good for the families, the 70 percent that aren't invested in the market, that are paying prices that are two and three times in some cases, you know, higher than what they were or the lack of availability of goods because there's so much free money out there? That's their focus now, not on making sure that 30 percent stays there. Given the runs in the market over the last number of years, I would think that the Fed's okay if the market comes down. And they're not idiots. They know it's going to come down when rates do. And then it'll go back up. I I would suggest maybe more time um, than ever in in history, um, the Fed is concerned about both of those things, not not one nor the other. It doesn't want the stock market to, to crash because of the impact it would have on the broader economy. Of course not. But it needs to deal with inflation. And, and that puts Jay Powell and company into a tough spot, right? You're yeah. trying to land a plane right. in They're- a hell of a lot of turbulence, and you've got to get it on the ground, and you've got to get it on the ground soon. You can't circle anymore, right? They've been doing that. They've been circling, right. waiting for parts of the labor market to come into better view, all right? They can't afford to do that anymore because inflation's not letting them do that. So they've got a delicate dance in trying to land the plane and make sure that everything is safe and sound. Steve Leisman, I appreciate yes. the conversation as always. Thanks for being here today. Do you have okay. a last quickie? You've got to sure. make it real quick. Very, very quick. If the Fed wants to be successful at fighting inflation, it has to tighten financial conditions. That means effects to the stock market and the bond market. Both of those are going to have to play a role. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, Leesman, good stuff, man. Thank you. Stock Summit is coming up next. New ideas from Surratt and Brenda when we come back. Good day, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. On the anniversary of the January 6th riot on Capitol Hill, former President Trump once again repeated his unfounded claim that the 2020 election was rigged against him. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is slamming Trump opponents for politicizing today's anniversary. You're going to see the D.C., New York media. I mean, this is this is their Christmas, January 6th. Okay, they are going to take this and milk this for anything they could to try to be able to smear anyone who ever supported Donald Trump. Chicago public schools remain closed for a second day now. School officials and the teachers union have failed to resolve their dispute over COVID safety protocols. And there is little sign of either side softening its position. Both the school district and the union have filed labor complaints with the state. Global COVID cases jumped 71 percent in the latest week to a record nine and a half million. This, according to the World Health Organization, new infections doubled in the Americas region, but only rose seven percent in Africa. Scott, back to you. All right, Ty, I appreciate it. That's Tyler Matheson. All right, it's time for our halftime 2022 stock summit again. It's back today with Brenda and Surat. Surat, you're up first. Again, three picks, individual stock picks and a sector that you think are going to do the very best in 2022. What do you got for us? Well, let's start with Uber. So Uber is one of my top picks. I think this company is completely misunderstood. 
The original investors who got into Uber thought it was a very different company. Today, the company is about mobility, delivery, and somewhat freight. And I think they're going to have an analyst day coming up February 10th. I think you're going to see this company really show that they can make their earnings, cash flow, and it's a completely different company than most people think it is. So that's the first one. The second one is Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley trades at 14 times earnings. I think it's the premier financial services company. It's a wealth management company with 60% of its now revenue coming from wealth management, and that is increasing close to almost 10% a year. 3% dividend yield, solid balance sheet. They're going to buy back shares. I think this company re-rates from 14 closer to a market multiple. And the last one is parent of your company, Comcast. Comcast, again, trading at 14 times earnings. It's peer charter trading at 20 times. Comcast is the penalty box. Uh, they missed their subscriber additions for the last quarter. But if you look at the sum of the parts, you look at the cash flow of this business, you look at the balance sheet, they can buy back shares. They've got a 2% dividend yield. And they have basically zero to negative value with Peacock. And you look at Universal, um, this company, I think, is worth a lot more. It's down more than 20% off its peak. So those are the three that I really yeah, like right, going into this year. A great setup for them. Given uh, given the home team a shout out, uh, obviously trying to get on uh, the halftime report uh, more often. I, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> you financials uh, is your, it, <laughs> and, and financials yeah. is your sector. And, and I've been over it. Not yeah. a, not a big surprise. Yes. Financial is the sector. No, no. And I've been, I've been in financials for a while. You know that. I I think given now the tailwinds that we have, given the valuation of these companies. Uh, and, you know, given where we are in the cycle, you get some type of inflation, you get uh, rates rising, you get a curve that's going to be on your side. You're going to have multiple expansion and earnings growth. And I think capital will come to this area, especially as the Fed uh, releases the balance sheet inter- you know, and changes rates. So I think cheap stocks, cheap sector, unloved. And I think you'll see capital flow towards there. All right, so J.P. Morgan and Bank of America today in terms of financials named the top 2022 picks at Goldman Sachs. Goldman and Wells, top picks at Credit Suisse. In terms of the other picks that you make, Josh Brown, you're an owner of Uber. Um, It wasn't one of your picks, but what do you think about it being one of Surratt's? I wanted to ask Surratt, um, what do you think they could say at the analyst day that would materially change people's view of what this is because i agree with you i think going into the pandemic it was a rideshare company that also had a little bit of delivery now delivery is more than half of revenue and might even become more profitable than rideshare by the end of this year so like what do they have to do to make it clear to the street that this is about logistics and fast delivery and maybe should be thought about more like amazon is uh, than a taxi yeah. company with an app. Like, what, what should they say? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think what they need to really talk about is how they are a technology company that now is cash flow positive, that is growing top line, that they're in their, when you look at their businesses, Josh, they're in their top, they're either first or second in delivery, first or second in mobility, and they've gotten rid of all the other businesses. They had a lot of people saying, oh, you're going to be, you know, an autonomous, you're going to be in all this other stuff that was not making money. And I think when you look at what is this company, what is the strategy of the company? And I think when that is expressed to the street, and you also had last year, I mean, you know, when you had tax lot selling, it was a company that everybody, if you lost money on it, get out of your portfolio, window dressing. I think that is something coming out in February that I feel management's been trying to do that. They'll be very articulate about it. And they'll say, hey, 
We're not just this grow, grow, grow company. We're growing for the sake of making money and cash flow. And look how focused we are on our strategy. All right. Sirat, good stuff. Uh, appreciate those picks. We'll have more top Thank ideas you. in our stock summit after the next quick break. Brenda takes the stage next. Brenda, let's do it. Uh, let's go through some of your picks for our stock summit this year. Uh, very interesting ones. Disney is number one. Boy, and it's been upset lately. Um, worst performer, I believe, out of the Dow in 2021. Why is it going to have a better 2022? Yeah, so we think that Disney is just an incredibly unique company. They've managed to grow the, the Disney Plus business with 118 million subscribers, looking to get to 260 million subscribers over the next couple of years. But this isn't just a story about Disney Plus. This is a story about the entire Disney ecosystem and how they're able to uniquely engage with their customer base on so many different levels, whether it's through the parks, whether it's through their licensing business, uh, whether it's through movies in the movie theater, and then through Disney Plus and through ESPN. So we think this company just has a lot mm -hmm. to give. Um, it's been under a lot of pressure over the last year, but we think things are setting up well for it to do better in 2022, particularly as the economy, hopefully, global economy, hopefully reopens and uh, parks continue uh, to do well and gain some strength here. Yeah, well, we hope so, too. A favorite of Jim Cramer as well, uh, as he's documented over the last couple of months, buying that stock as it's uh, come down for his charitable trust as part of the investment club. Uh, Boeing was a farmer Jim name. Interesting here that it's one of yours, too, along with booking. You tell me about either one of those, Boeing or booking. I mean, because, you know, Boeing's had its issues, too. Boeing has had issues, but I think in this market, if you're looking for a place to buy something that hasn't worked and that is likely to, to do better in 2022 and perhaps be one of the better performing stocks in 2022, I think you could look towards companies with exposure to travel resumption. You know, Booking and Boeing both fall into that category, but with Boeing in particular, they've obviously the company has had its challenges over the last few years, but we think resolution to some of those challenges could end up being a catalyst here in 2022, in particular, if 767 Max are, are reinstated in China, that could be a real game changer. China's an important part of the aviation market. It's estimated to make up about 10% of, of volume um, uh, over the next decade or so uh, within um, uh, the aviation business. And then secondly, the 787 uh, uh, production problems we think should also be resolved uh, this year, and that should be also a catalyst here. And lastly, just the resumption of air travel, which we think has there has been domestic air travel picked up, but international travel just has not been as strong. And we think if we can move past the pandemic, that we will see a significant pickup, as I think there is a lot of pent up demand uh, for both um, business yeah. and uh, and leisure travel. We've um, you know for the course of this week, uh, we've heard a lot about energy, uh, which was the best performing sector of last year, and people think it's still going to be great this year. It's been a top pick among. Our gang. Um, financials have been certainly on the list too, and so has healthcare, which is your best sector pick for the year. Give me a quickie on why healthcare. Yeah, so healthcare did not, especially parts of healthcare, did not perform very well at all this past year. And we think there are a lot of good, high quality companies within this group. 
that really are poised uh, to perform better and next year, particularly if we get this overhang of drug pricing out of the way. I think once we get past the Build Back Better bill, if we look beyond that to the midterm elections, we should have a scenario, I think, where the Democrats do lose the majority in Congress. And that will mean that we'll have two years where we likely won't have to worry as much about what might be coming down the pike in terms of uh, drug pricing. Uh, uh, limitations. So we think this the sector is poised to do better uh, in 2022. Okay. Sarat, just quickly, uh, you also own Disney. Does your outlook match Brenda's? Absolutely. I think it's a high quality company. It would have been, it's in my top 10. Uh, I've been buying more of it. Um, I think, you know, the stock has sold off just as we've kind of shut down again. And I think the opportunity there, similar to the Comcast, I think the sum of the parts is worth a lot. And there's a lot of synergy within uh, Disney as well. One other thing I, I agree, my, my second pick in, in sectors would have been healthcare too. Uh, Brenda's absolutely right. Oh, Big okay. Pharma has really not performed. So, All right, good stuff. We're going to finish out the Stock Summit this week. Uh, tomorrow, Pete Najarian, Shannon Sakosha. Richard Saperstein, one of America's top-rated financial advisors. We're looking forward to uh, our wrap-up tomorrow. The best ideas from the investment committee for 2022. Up next, we have to talk about Bitcoin and other cryptos. Uh, they are sliding and sliding hard. Take a look at Bitcoin there. Uh, 43, barely holding on to 43. That after those hawkish Fed minutes. We're going to talk about that next, how to trade it. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. Now, we got to hit crypto uh, before we get out of here today, guys. You take a look at there's Coinbase. We're showing you that because it was upgraded today at Bank of America. We do, Josh, have ownership and, and you own it. Brenda owns it as well. But man, Bitcoin's been hammered. I thought it was interesting. Mike Novogratz was on the very end of Squawk Box today. was talking about 38,000 to 40,000, feeling like where we should bottom there, uh, noting that institutions are, are allocating. So that's going to somewhat put a floor under it. You own Coinbase. So, I mean, how are you thinking about cryptos right now? Yeah, so when, when we launched our, uh, our crypto index SMA, one of the most important decisions that we made, along with Wisdom Tree, our partner, was to let the index be free-floating without, um, without rebalancing. And we were already started out underweight Bitcoin relative to its size within crypto, and that underweight is, is going even lower uh, which means there are a lot of tokens and coins within DeFi and other areas of crypto that actually are doing well, despite the fact that uh, Bitcoin is falling. So we expect Bitcoin, if this continues, to be a smaller and smaller part of that index. And some other very important protocols and coins will gain weighting uh, in that index. And that's by design. So um, mm -hmm. I'm long Bitcoin personally. I don't have a strong opinion about whether or not it will keep falling. I just think it's important for investors to diversify within the space and not anchor to any one yeah. specific protocol. And maybe it's related to the minutes. You know, who knows? It's a, it's, 
It's related to some of the Nasdaq coming off, uh, speculative or risk assets. Well, if it's uh, digital gold, this is one then of the parts yes, of the show that related I, to the minutes. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but one of one of the parts of the show that I truly love the most when Jim Cramer uh, comes out, uh, prompted or not, uh, <laughs> in this case, prompted. I'm told he uh, he is mic'd up. Jim, you know, I know you were listening to our conversation earlier about this relationship with the Fed and the market, how much it should care, how much it needs to care, and enough that you had some thoughts you wanted to share with everybody. Well, I was listening to Josh, and and Josh is explaining in this usual common sense way that obviously it didn't work last time what what Jay Powell did, that he's not an idiot. Jay Powell's not an idiot. A lot of people come on our shows, and they just presume that whatever Jay does is wrong. But look what he's been able to deliver. Incredible employment, a good stock market, whether he wants to or not. An amazing moment in our country a couple of years ago when every other country was collapsing and he managed to come on the Today Show and stop the decline and didn't even have to buy a lot of bonds. Yes, the Treasury balance sheet is big. But, Josh, I salute you for just saying it's like you know, if he's a coach, he knows if that play failed, he doesn't come in and say, you know what, we got to try that play again. Right, Josh? I mean, he really is a common sense guy, and so are you. People forget that Jay Powell's first month on the Fed was doing the taper tantrum, I think May or June, uh, June or July of 2013. He has seen the power of the Fed's remarks firsthand, both negatively and positively, and he knows that him speaking is a tool as powerful as actually raising or cutting rates or tapering or not tapering. So I think you're right, Jimmy. Uh-huh. And I think we could expect to he- see more of that uh, going forward. And it's it's become let, important. What the Fed says at these conferences matters. Let me do matters. this. Yeah. Hey, I, Jimmy, I before I let you go, because I mean, we're, we're, the, we're at the end. Of, we're, hold, hold on. I want to get a quick, quick thought from Jim. I mean, while we're into the row, Jim, we started the show with with you, really, uh, in suggesting of, of what you said earlier, that you're looking, right? That a lot of these stocks have come down uh, an awful lot. I don't know if you heard that, you know, Josh had bought Robinhood today for a trade. He bought more Matterport. He bought more PayPal. Um, you really feel like we've, we've hit the buy button a, a time? A lot of them. I mean, look, things? I listened when Josh said uh, Robinhood. I said, wow, 15? I mean, there is some core value there. If even it's just to buy PayPal to buy them. Uh, I happen to like PayPal. I, I, the Disney call I thought was good. Now, look, I do want to see uh, Microsoft go up. But, I mean, look, I mean, we had a thing like uh, NVIDIA was down a lot. Uh, Costco wasn't looking good. We, we have to take note of, the, of pricing action. And the pricing action we're getting is just simply uh, what typically looks like uh, when you get a bottom. Yeah. Jimmy, I appreciate it. I know you got other stuff uh, to no, do and, uh, and on your mind, but I so much appreciate so right. you running like, out. Yes, Josh is right. They're not going to run the same stupid play again. He's not going to do off tackle running through. He's passing. He doesn't do the same play over and over. Yeah. There's always a box on this screen available for you, Jim ah, Cramer. You're the you best. Thank you, guys. You great show today. Thanks, Just a great you, show. You, yeah, you, thank you. You'll see him tonight on Mad Money, 6 o'clock. We're back after this with Final Trades. Time for final trades. Brenda, you're up first. Salesforce. A lot of recurring revenue. That okay. stock has corrected significantly down 10% as over the last month. We think there's still a lot of opportunity. All right, Surat. Morgan Stanley sticking with it. I think this one's going to go higher. A lot of, a lot of tailwind here. Okay. Jo- Josh Brown. 
Berkshire Hathaway, new 52-week, new all-time high today, might be one of the perfect stocks for this moment in the economy. All right, lastly to you, Weiss, and forgive me, I had to bounce out of that segment, but you got the floor for the last 20 seconds. No problem. Let's just go with Porsche. Uh, Momentum's been there. I think it'll continue. I was just going to ask Jim a question if he was saying that the Fed's not going to raise rates. I doubt he was saying that. He's too smart for that. Good stuff, guys. I appreciate it. Stock Summit concludes tomorrow. We'll see you then. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.